Hi, my name is Shlomo Salsa, founder of Purpose Creates Impact, host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, where you will find the inspiration to get over your struggles as a teenage kid. I was bullied, had anxiety, depression, had friends pass away, and battled confidence issues for a majority of my life. Whether you have the same issues as me, feel lonely, face challenges in your home or in school, I'm going to be interviewing people who overcame these struggles and provide you with tips on how you can overcome yours. By the end of this episode, I want you to rate and comment on what you think of the podcast. This will allow the podcast to be ranked higher and serve more teenagers. Hi, everyone. This is Shlomo Solson, the host of the Teenage Impact Podcast. And I have a very special guest with me, Nathan Harmon. How are you, Nathan? Good, man. How are you, brother? Good, good. Nathan's so busy that right now we he is recording this podcast in the airport. So if you hear some background noise, that's probably people announcing the flight information. But Nathan, I'm very blessed to have him on my podcast. He's so busy that in the past two and a half years, He's been booked over 600 times by school. He's the most booked speaker for youth programs in schools, but it wasn't always so easy. He's had a fair share of struggles with alcoholism, a little bit of prison time, broken family, broken spirit. And today I'm very lucky and blessed to have Nathan on to share his story. So Nathan, how about you take the floor and kind of tell everyone your story and your background as a teenager yeah man so first off it's exciting to be here i'm glad that we were able to make this happen sorry for some of our uh scheduling conflicts man like you see like yeah i'm in the airport doing the, the interview it's the hardest thing in my life is to do interviews because it's non-stop so i'm here i'm stoked to be here to to really also just to um hopefully be an encouragement to you man we need more voices we need more people your age and younger and older who are just taking this fight taking this fight of life to the people, man, letting people know that their story matters, their voice matters. They're not alone. Um, your life speaks, which is the company that I started. It's uh, it's what it's all about is letting people know that their life speaks It screams, it shouts and we're better together. Um, but you're right. It wasn't always this way. Uh, I know what it's like tremendously to come from broken families. My mom and my dad got divorced when I was about the sixth grade and it really rocked me when I was a kid because my parents ever fought really in front of me. And so I kind of got blindsided and my dad was all of a sudden ripped out of my life. And that was a big deal because he was like my mentor, my hero. I always say he was my Superman. And uh, when that happened, I naturally developed a habit that most of us do without even knowing. I learned by watching my peers and watching my parents, I learned how to put on my mask. What I mean by that is I learned how to walk the walk, talk the talk, look the look, go through the motions, and on the surface, it looked like it was all good. But below the surface, behind the mask, there was tears and pain. And I always say, and I was screaming, but I was silent. Um, I had a voice, but I was voiceless. And uh, I didn't know as a young man that it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And, I didn't re- and I didn't realize as a young man or as a young person that none of us, not you, not me, no person in this airport around me. Um, none of us are meant to do this on our own. We're not an island. We're not meant to be an island. And we need each other and we're better together. Um, 
but I didn't know that. And so growing up from middle school to high school, I wore that mask. And as I wore that mask, I would say pressure bust pipes, the social, the emotional pressure it builds. It's going to find its way out. And it finds its way out, if you ask me, in, in five common ways. Suicidal thoughts, self-harming, hurting people, hurting people, or we could call it the bully, but people who are verbally, mentally, emotionally abusive, they, they hide behind their words and their fists because they're hurting, they hurt people, and drugs and alcohol. And uh, if we don't find healthy ways to talk about those things and to find ways to deal with our social and emotional stuff, that pressure finds its way out predominantly in one of those five areas. And um, like af after that divorce happened in sixth grade, what, what happened? Like, how did you feel? And what did you start doing after that happened? Yeah, so I, I put on that mask and all of those things that I just talked about, they slowly began to surface um, over time. One of my first mistakes I made is I walked away from good friends. I had good friends at the time, but since I wore the mask, I started to isolate. I started to kind of compartmentalize my way self away from people. Um, and I'm a firm believer who you surround yourself with um, is who you are. Um, people can tell me who they are, but I'm like, I don't need to know who you are. Let me see your friends. I can tell you who you are. Uh, and I, I had good friends at the time, but because of the mask and a lot of the hurts and my pains and not wanting to talk, uh, I ended up walking away from those friends and I found other peers, other people as I grew up, because not only was I dealing with the stuff behind the mask, I was also dealing with the peer pressure, wanting to act and talk and look a certain way and fit in with certain groups and crowds and cliques of people. And uh, that was like a compound fracture on one side of the sword. I had this mask. I didn't know how to deal with it. And on the other side, there was the pressure of growing up. And so I, I found the wrong group of friends, the wrong, the wrong people. And uh, I started to compromise and I got involved with drugs and with alcohol. Before that, I also, I battled thoughts of ending my life. I had a rope around my throat um, and was on the brink of hanging myself what on my hands. Uh, this was about 17, 18. It's always kind of towards, yeah, this was a little bit later. The, the actual progression of my struggle, like in order would have probably have been um, I isolated myself and I started dealing with the whole self-harming. I started dealing with some serious depression, some serious anxiety. Um, I was afraid and I didn't know how to talk about my stuff because I never was shown that it's okay to not be okay. And so it all kind of happened at one time, 16, 17, 18. I always say the proverbial it, it hit the fan, right? Um, and I got involved with drugs and alcohol. Suicidal thoughts happened. Self-harming began to happen. I can see the scars on my hands still today when I used to burn myself. I battled an eating disorder of bulimia. Um, I was just trying to find my worth and my value from everybody else, from fitting in here and fitting in there. But I woke up every day just as empty. And uh, all of those things were me just really crying out for help. Uh, the bully, I always tell the bully, like, we know, I know. You're just hiding behind your words and your fists. Mm -hmm. and you're, you're, you're afraid to talk about it. Um, so, so that's kind of was my, my struggle through high school, middle school. And then ultimately, uh, I was in a bad accident at 23. And my friend Priscilla Owens, um, she came to pick me up as a designated driver. And uh, 
she gave me the keys to her car and we didn't make it. And the next night, July 18th, she died. And, uh, man, you just, it's, it's, uh, you never, you never expect. You were under the influence, correct? Yeah, I was, I I was drunk for sure. Yeah. And, uh, that's when everything changed in a dramatic way. Um, her family wanted me to call them three days after the wreck. And, uh, what do you say? I'm sorry. Like, what? Like, like I, I, I heard administrators and in, in, in law enforcement when they would come into the school and you would hear teachers talk about the dangers of these things, which you never expected could happen to you, you know? And then it did. And, uh, I was broken, man, because I knew now that not, I only had I affected myself, but I had destroyed another family. You know, there was Priscilla was a real person, and uh, her family just wanted me to call them. And uh, when I did, three days after the wreck, they 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 just radically for a crazy story, man. They forgave me, man, and uh, the reasoning was we knew Priscilla was sober when she left, and she's pretty strong-willed. We don't know why she gave you those keys. And we don't think one dumb choice should destroy two families' lives. So we want to forgive you, but we're asking you to try to make the world a better place and don't let her die for nothing. And it just changed me, man. I had to go to prison from there. I got sentenced to 15 years in prison. And I'm sorry for the overhead here. They're making this last announcement. But um, when they forgave me, they just wanted me to make a difference. But I went to prison for 15 years, and that's when I really started. That's when I really, I really decided to take a stand. So that's kind of my past. You got you got out. You said four years after four years. Yeah, I uh, I didn't do the full 15 years. I got released 11 years early, actually. Mm-hmm. And the reason I I really always share why it happened is I believe, first off, I took ownership. I took control of my past. I stopped blaming others. I think a mistake a lot of us do is uh, we allow things that we can't control to control us. Um, we can't control always our, what happens in our past. We can't always control how people treat us, but we always can control how we react and how we respond. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I and did that. Still, do you still keep in touch with that family? I do. I do. Yep. I do. Um, Carolyn lives in, in, in uh, Alabama and Olivia, she lives in Florida. Um, in the Panama Beach, Panama City Beach area, but uh, fifth, ten years ago when the wreck happened, you know, I, I took ownership, and uh, I stopped allowing things to control that I couldn't control control me. Mm-hmm. I took control of my life, and um, I had to take off the mask first. That was step one. So, but yeah, that's that's the past of. I've been home for now for six years, and we started your life speaks and. It's national. It's international now. We're, we're going to schools in Tokyo, Guatemala, Brazil, Zimbabwe, all across the nation. I saw your schedule. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. First time international, yeah. or you've spoken international before? Last year I was in Canada for the first time. That was my first outside of the states. But uh, yeah, the Tokyo thing is crazy, and, and Zimbabwe, <laughs> and, and uh, I never, I never thought, man, that, that it would grow like this. But you're never going to know what you can do unless you get out of the boat and try. So. Uh-huh. And let's go back to a little bit in middle school and high school, if you don't mind. The, yeah. mask, the mask you started to put on after that divorce, what happened afterwards besides you leaving some of your friends? Like what, there must have been some type of buildup to get your self-confidence that low. Like 
is it was it external factors or something you just kept in for such a long period of time I, I think, man, I, I didn't understand the divorce, honestly. It didn't uh-huh. make sense to me. I, I was angry. I was mad. Uh, my mom, um, she ended up getting remarried pretty quick. And then I had a stepfather and stepchildren. And, 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 and I mean, it's not stepchildren, but stepbrothers and sisters. And I didn't sign up for that, you know. And, uh, uh, and it was just a lot of not knowing how to deal with that young age with those emotions, not being trained and learning and having tools to deal with the anger, the frustration, the bitterness, the hurt, the pain. Um, and so I just would mask it. And I was, I was always a person that wanted to stay busy. I didn't want to be alone because if I was alone, I had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So it was easier for me to stay in sports. And so you didn't deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I never really dealt with it. Um, I didn't want to talk about it. And then it kind of just, you know, it's like that, that, that volcano, it just, the pressure builds and builds. And eventually it, it started finding leaks and, mm-hmm. and these destructive ways for me to try to process. Mm-hmm. Like alcohol and drugs and yeah, know, man. the wrong crowd, man. Yeah. I, I, I definitely, um, I've also lost friends from not their fault. Um, I've lost four friends from drinking and driving. The guy was driving on the opposite opposite side of the highway huge you know huge deal in tampa bay um so definitely it sucks losing friends and seeing families hurt it really does change you um in prison you're in prison for those four years how was that experience don't go no (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well uh, let me rephrase that question let me rephrase that question was a mental shift? Did you have that mental shift inside of prison, or did it come after prison, or before prison? It it came at the beginning. So thirty days after my wreck, the warrant for my arrest finally came as they processed all that happened, um, and I turned myself in. And uh, it was then that when I had that moment to really stop running from everything and I had time, I think time's a powerful tool to use for us, not always against us. And, uh, I, I started to really stop blaming and start really digging into my own stuff. And, uh, it, it was then that I had that shift that saying, all right, I could either, I could lay down and say my past is bigger than my future. I made too many mistakes. I'm a failure. I quit. Or my dad, when I was young, he used to always tell me, as long as there's breath in your lungs, there's hope in your heart. And uh, plus the family had forgave me in a radical way. And now it was bigger than me. I had a purpose. They wanted me to make a difference. Um, Faith was an element that got involved. You know, I I ended up having um, an an encounter with God um, for me personally. And that all those things began to empower me to take control. And so I I started just, um, I literally wrote the words and they're still in my bathroom today, 10 years later, I wrote these words, change the world. And I slapped them right on my little prison wall. And to me, I just decided if I could wake up every day and make choices and decisions that build and don't destroy, grow and don't push away choices that help my dreams, my goals, my, my destination of wanting to change the world come closer to me and not make choices that push them farther away. 
So I try to simplify it. Mm -hmm. What were some of your habits in prison to Um, mental shift and not only make that mental shift, but keep staying to keep to stay positive. And so I was a, I'm a, I'm a journaler. I love to write. I love just to write journals um, and, and make notes. Uh, so I did a lot of processing that way. Uh, to me, I, I, I started adding um, exercise and working out. I'm, I'm a big runner. Mm-hmm. I think it's when I get some of my be- best, like thought clarity, um, kicking those endorphins around. Cause I ultimately, I think the, the addiction is the reason why we, it's hard for us to get off those is because mm-hmm. we're, we're used to that endorphin. And uh, so I started really getting serious with, with exercise and writing and finding good mentors. I think I always, my, one of my best habits that I feel like I've created is we don't only need people on a horizontal plane that are friends this way, but we got to have people vertically, those coaches, those mentors, those people that can help pull you up and hold you up when you want to give up. Um, Who are some of your mentors? Um, there was a guy in, in actually in prison. An hour. That's okay. My flight just got delayed. Oh, so uh, my time. Should, yeah, no, yeah, right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Should we just should we call and see about switching swapping our connection? Um, that's phenomenal. But um, but yeah. So I had I had a guy in prison named Petey who really poured into me. And he said, uh, he was just trying to pour into me so I wouldn't make the same mistakes that he made. And in that, uh, he really just was always challenged me saying, Nathan, why don't you not want to change? You know, like, and I would be like, oh, because the friends in my old, those old friends that I had, you know, they're different. They're not like this. They're still out there ripping a runner. And he'd always say, do they care about you? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay. How many have came and seen you? I'm like, uh, none. How many have written to you? Uh, none. He said, so why are you letting people live rent free in your brain? Why are you going to let people, Powerful. why are you, you going to let people who don't really care about you that were really helping you be destructive and were gassing you up to make the wrong choices. Why are you going to let them hijack your destiny? As soon as he said that, man, it was like a shift. And I was like, ah, uh, light bulbs. Right. And that was, that was the moment that really started a huge, like, cataclysmic shift in me so Mm -hmm. yeah man even though you had the mental change what were some of your challenges in prison i think um dealing with the time not knowing how long you're going to be there um it's it's a different environment um i think it's easy to fall into the common voice that surrounds you um, and, and in prison, I mean, there's like their whole thought processes and the lifestyle and the culture. And I just refused that I didn't have to be a product of that. So I had to combat against that all the time of not being, you know, what caught up in the, the pointless conversations and the talk. I decided that I was going to use my time very wisely. Um, I was just thought of those things. Yeah. I read a lot. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was a reader. Yep. Uh, I did a program in there called Therapeutic Community, and it was really a cognitive thinking. Change the way you think, you change you. Um, it was big on the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life was a huge one. I was trying to figure out purpose. Um, so those are some of the things that I really dug into. And then I just really I spent a lot of time in meditation, man. I think meditation is a powerful tool. You change your life. Um, yeah, man. So 
that's a lot of the tools that I used. Um, and I ended up getting released 11 years early. Uh, hard work works, make good choices, great things happen. And um, was it because you made that switch, they saw that you were making that switch that they released you early? Uh, well, they actually started a program um, in Indiana for the first time. They wanted to start sending an inmate all across Indiana and let him communicate and to try to make a difference um, with their stories and, and, and helping and, and speaking in, in colleges and high schools and conferences. And um, they started this crazy program. And so when they went to find the first person to pilot the program, well, you make good choices and work hard. You always separate yourself from the crowd. And I was highlighted and I got picked. And my work that I did for two years while incarcerated, um, the governor of Indiana heard about it. And his council got wind about it too. And uh, with time cuts and with, with, with all of that, then I also got a letter from the governor's office saying that I was more effective out there than I was in here. Wow. And so I walked out of that place 11 years early. Yep, that was six years ago. That's powerful. That's powerful. Now you're out of prison. What yep. were the next steps? Uh, punch fear in the face. <laughs> uh, There's a lot of people in my hometown that said I was a failure still. It was only a matter of time before I went back to where I always was. My dream was stupid. You want to be an inspirational speaker that I wasn't qualified. Um, I didn't have the vernacular that could communicate, could persuade audiences and crowds. And you're tw 27 at this time, right? I was 27 at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so I just decided not to let, listen to any of the critics and, uh, I reached out to schools and, um, I did a cool, crazy thing. I, uh, recorded this video that when I was talking, they recorded them and they sent me the video and I made a promotional CD from when I was in prison speaking. And when it all, I got it, I created this little promotional CD and in that I sent it to a hundred schools and one school brought me in. That's just four and a half years ago. And then one turned to 10 and 10 turned to 30 and 30 turned to 70. And then it just snowballed and, and uh, we were effective at what we do. And these talks work. Um, we've gotten thousands of messages from kids who haven't committed suicide and people who are on the verge that are now healthy getting help. Kids that weren't going to graduate that are graduating. So all of talks, the power of words. So. And so you, just from one CD, you never had this a speaking engagement or was a cd a speaking engagement or is it just a video you made no so it was when i was in when i was actually still incarcerated i went to a, a division one school called ball state to speak uh -huh. and they record and they recorded it and so i took that clip and i mailed it out to a uh, hundred schools in indiana that's and pretty amazing that, and you've been doing that, it for six years six and a half um well I, i've been really doing it like on, on a high level like this for about four years. Oh, yeah. My first school was four and a half. But if I count the time when I was communicating in prison, I was leaving prison and going out and speaking. I spoke to like 7,000 people over two years while I was still incarcerated. Um, that was, so it would have been about seven years ago that I really started public speaking. Mm -hmm. But even though the first two years I was in prison doing it. So yeah. How did you grow as a speaker in the past five, six years? I think... Uh, just the ability to, to, to use speech and cadence um, and senses. So to me, it's not just a speech. When I do this talk, even though it's just words, to me, I've always looked at it like, like people sitting in the audience. They're there to watch the movie, to hear the play, 
to be a part of a production. And I'm the author, I'm the director, I'm the playwriter, I'm the actor, I'm in control. And so I always wanted to, to be able to capture with language and tones and passion this ebbs, these flows, these ups, these downs, laughter, tears, stories that literally made you feel like you're watching a movie. So my talks, when I have the full time because the school, we can get it, we'll go for 90 minutes and, and nobody moves. It's like a movie, man. Like it's wow. just, yeah. So it's a 90 minute talk normally, which I think for some communicators, maybe it's a long time, but, but that's what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, that's good. And what about, what about other lessons you have learned since getting out? Uh, well, besides think, in your professional career, I think the other lessons are, are, are just, you know, tackling things head on, you know, don't okay. talk about it. Don't, don't, don't talk to others about it, but just go right to the source. Um, I think to me, um, understanding that it's not about being perfect. It's, it's not about being, per, having perfection, but it's about progress. It's understanding the importance of ex executing with your time, you know, um, uh, being able to get the most out of every moment um and really just the importance of each other and community is everything like we need each other and um the more we can use each other and share with each other and be a part of the team with each other the better we are together mm -hmm. and because i i've learned the more we talk and communicate and take off our mask we realize other people are just like you and we start to realize that we're all beautifully broken Mm -hmm. Some way, somehow, we've all got stuff. So that's really kind of what I've learned, man. Nice. And you, you're married now? Have a, have a child? I'm married. I have two kids. I have a seven-year-old that I adopted. Um, he's my little rock star. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got a, a three-year-old, getting ready to be three, um, Juliana. And then my wife, Alexis, we've been married for four and a half years. So How did you meet your wife? <laughs> so I was communicating, man. I was a speaker, and she came to one of the venues. It wasn't a school. We weren't in a school. But... Mm -hmm. uh, but she came to a venue and uh, we just hit it off right away. And um, literally three months after we met, we were married and she's my biggest, I'm her biggest fan, man. So but yeah, man. Good for you. And um, if, if you can go back to your 11 year self when your parents are getting divorced and you start to have this mask on, what advice would you give him? don't believe the lie that it's keeping you safe. It's the very thing holding you hostage. Mm -hmm. find, the, find the courage, take it off. It won't be as bad as you think. You're not alone, but you gotta take that first step. Mm -hmm. you've, got, you've got to understand that your defense mechanism can sometimes be your, your greatest challenge to overcome. So to me, that, that's what I really learned. That's what I would say to them is, is so don't be afraid. He's not alone. Take it off. Talk about it. It's going to be okay. Even though you don't feel it will be, it will be because our feelings can lie to us. So How can, what are specific ways someone can take off their mask? I think finding that trusted, caring adult, taking off, finding that person that you can take the mask off and, and, and someone that you can trust because that's the fear. You have to trust somebody. Um, and you don't know what you're going to do when you share about it. But finding that person that you know that you can open up and you can talk to about, that's, that's, that's the challenge. That's, that's what mm -hmm. you have to learn to do. So. Mm -hmm. And you were in a tough situation 
and you made the best out of it. Yeah. Um, got into a car accident. It was really tough. Went to prison. But most people, they would cry about it. You didn't. Yeah. You, you made a negative situation a positive one. How can other people do the same exact thing? I think you got to take ownership. Take ownership and remember that it's not about being perfect. You're going to make mistakes, but, but you've got to attack it head on. You got, you got to just go for it. And, mm-hmm. and to me, ownership's key, extreme ownership, and then move forward. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've learned. Mm-hmm. And what are some last tips? Oh, man. Stay the course. Stay the course. Trust the process. Use your tools. Talk. Use each other. Um, set dreams, set goals, and every day make a step towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would really share. But, but with that, man, I don't want to cut it short. I've got to get on here. We've got to figure out our, our route flights because our flight just got delayed twice now. And <laughs> I may miss my schools and my, my engagement tomorrow if we don't get okay. on it. So, Where can people find you? Uh, Your Life Speaks on all media platforms. Uh, our IG is the number one vehicle that we use, Your Life Speaks. Um, and, so, and on YouTube, yourlifespeaks.org. Um, it's our website. Um, you type in Nathan Harmon on, on, on any, any um, Google search, you, you'll see everything. So mm-hmm. that's the best way. So, yeah, and man. For, for my subscribers and followers, if you're tuning in for first time, subscribe to the Teenage Impact. I'm trying to inspire as many teens as possible to overcome whatever struggle they're going through because you should never fight alone. Thank you, Nathan, yeah, very much. I'll let you get to your flight. Hey, man, it was an honor talking to you, man. And I'm really, I'm really proud and honored to see what you're doing, man. Keep going, man. Don't give up. Keep, 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 keep taking one step forward. It grows slowly. Just keep going with it, man. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Have a good one, man.